everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Following World War II, various researchers found and reported gains in IQ, but it was not until additional reports appeared in the 1980s that researchers began to look for the causes. It became quickly apparent that the gains were not limited to any group or nation, but purely dependent on time of assessment. So this is the Flynn effect, you guys. The Flynn effect is the effect that shows that IQ scores have been increasing across generations, across the general population, by about three points per decade. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to really focus on some of the proposed causes of the Flynn effect. And we're going to focus on the ones that have maybe a little bit more literature to back them up that are maybe a little more conclusive. There are a lot of causes and we're going to get into not all of them, but I think, I hope that this will provide a good overview of the causes of the Flynn effect. The sources of this episode were one century of global IQ gains, a formal meta-analysis of the Flynn effect by... Peter Schneigel, I believe, Peter Schnig, excuse me, and Voracek, and also Overview of the Flynn Effect by Robert Williams. So the rise in IQ scores, it appeared unexpectedly really and defied explanation originally when it was discovered. Smith in 1942, he was kind of the first person to record a gain in IQ. He found it in Honolulu over a 14-year span. Later, Tuddenham in in 1948 found an increased intelligence when he compared inductee scores for the U.S. Army from World War I and World War II. So he actually was the first to kind of propose why these gains in IQ scores might have happened. So he proposed that the gains might be due to increased familiarity with tests, uh, public health and nutrition, and education. Um, Just for your reference, the gains that he kind of was studying, the gains from 1932 to 1943 were 4.4 points per decade. So the increases in IQ were actually, excuse me, more pronounced um, in in these days, in the earlier uh, 20th century compared to now where it's on average three points per decade. Um, But let's kind of continue with this history. So the results showing this gain remained relatively dormant until they were rediscovered by a researcher not named Flynn, but Lin in 1982, while he was working on a comparison of Japanese and US data. Two years after this, this is when it kind of started to blow up. And this is when um, the American, or not the American, but using American data, James Flynn in 1984 discovered that there were these, uh, or rediscovered these increased IQ gains. So the reason it's called the Flynn effect and not the Smith effect or the Tuddenham effect or the, the Lynn effect actually was just kind of by chance. Hernstein and Murray published their huge book, um, The Bell Curve in 1994, and they just coined the term the Flynn effect. They used, uh, perhaps they just used Flynn's Flynn's dad, or they at least used Flynn's name to uh, refer to this increase in IQ. So, but still, some researchers still choose to refer it to um, the Lynn-Flynn effect because of Lynn's impact on this research, or they use an uppercase F and L when they write it. So, it's like a combination of Flynn and Lynn when they talk about the effect. So, um, since the early 1980s, researchers have 
found the Flynn effect in virtually every group they have examined. They've published a huge number of papers, well over a hundred on the gains and possible causes um, of this increase in IQ over the generation. So this is where we are today. We're at the point where there's been hundreds of studies on these IQ gains. And, and now some of these studies have started to examine the causes and that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first one is there, it's possible that better education and an increase in GDP play a role in increasing IQ uh, over the generations and, and why on average we're smarter than our grandparents and our grandparents were smarter than their grandparents and so on. So um, there are positive associations of GDP with IQ gains and, and this has been observed in several studies and in several countries as well, not just the most developed nations. So it's been proposed that investments into better education lead to economic growth and vice versa. And this leads to an overall increased intelligence. So it kind of has like a reciprocal relationship where we're getting better education and this is leading to economic growth. And then this economic growth is also leading to better education. And when these things combine, it seems that it creates an increase in, in IQ over the generations. Another cause that seems to exist is increased exposure to technology. Exposure to technology of the general population, at least in industrial countries, has increased in recent decades. It's been suggested that the reported gains in IQ may reflect the increased exposure to modern appliances that actually tra implicitly train your visual, visual analytical abilities. So it's almost as if a more stimulating environment with all of this technology is <laughs> maybe not necessarily making us smarter, but it's at least making us perform better on these IQ tests because there's more um, input. We're getting more input. We're getting more stimuli. And this is allowing us to maybe solve problems better on the IQ tests, or we're just more adept at dealing with different situations. A more stimulating visual environment could be like, more exposure to computers, more exposure to television or video games. And these types of things may refine skills on intelligence tasks. That's what the research seems to uh, figure. Globally, there's been an increase in the presence of movies, TV, photography, video games, computers, puzzles, and mazes, and so on. Even advertising has become saturated with images, graphs, charts, and all sorts of rapid visual sequences. So the idea is that the shift towards more visual representations, we're on the screen where we see more visual representations, this removes some of the novelty on IQ tests. So this allows people to score better. So now when people see IQ tests with all these visual stimuli, and there are all sorts of stimuli, there's even uh, a certain, I can't remember, I actually did this IQ test in, in university, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it involved kind of putting... Uh, looking at a picture and putting blocks that putting together different shaped blocks to match that picture, that two dimensional picture. So the idea seems to be that because we're able to see all sorts of um, all sorts of visual inputs all around us and graphs and all things like this, when I see that now on the intelligence test, it doesn't surprise me and I can adeptly do these things. So that's the, idea of technology's role. So what is the evidence of this? Well, IQ rise has been observed mainly in Western industrialized countries where technology has been readily accessible. 
to the majority of the population. So where there's more technology, there seems to be a greater IQ rise. So, or at least it's mainly been observed in these industrialized areas where there's more technology, but it's (laughs) with, as with research, um, it always is the case that there are caveats or at least limitations to some of these findings. So more recent accounts have reported substantial IQ gains, not only in these Western industrialized nations where there's more technology, but also in lesser developed countries where exposure to modern visual media is rare. So for instance, so IQ gains of about two points per year from 1984 to 1998 were demonstrated in rural Kenya. So substantial IQ gains, they don't only increase in areas where there's more technology. If it was occurring in rural Kenya, where they don't maybe don't have as much access to all this technology, then it seems like the Flynn effect can still occur independently of increased technology. Also, this we, we talked about at the start of the episode that the strongest IQ gains occurred over generations occurred in the earliest decades of the 20th century where there wasn't even that much technological innovate, innovation and, um, and technological stimulation anyway. So why was the Flynn effect so strong where there was less visual exposure to all sorts of technology? So this is another inconsistency. The general availability of many now more common appliances to the general population was limited during these early decades of the 20th century, but the Flynn effect was at its strongest. So clearly it's not all due to technology, but still on the basis of the available evidence, potential effects of exposure to modern technology cannot completely be dismissed. So there is enough evidence to show that technology does seem to play a role in our increased intelligence levels over the years. But again, it's not like it's the main factor by any means, because the two reasons that we've mentioned one or the two studies, um, or at least lines of evidence. It's been, the Flynn effect has been observed in rural Kenya, where there's not much uh, exposure to technology or as much technology. And it's also been seen in the early 20th century with less exposure exposure to technology too. So it's not all due to technology, but recent improvements in IQ, it does seem like it's related to technological advancement. There's also the health effects and how with improving health, we've also improved our IQ coincidentally. So, or consequently, I should say. So let's look at reduced blood lead levels. The evidence indicates that reduced lead exposure may account for a portion of IQ gains in more recent years. So detrimental effects of environmental exposure to lead on cognitive abilities are well-documented. Children, for instance, have been shown to be very susceptible to lead exposure even very, very minute increases in blood lead levels severely can impair their brain development. So in recent years, there has been uh, less lead exposure. There's been more research that has shown the detrimental effects of lead, and, and we've tried to remove these from our products. So this seems to result in some increases in IQ, or maybe at least the... Um, the health effects that we're gaining from reduced lead exposure is increasing our IQ as well. IQ gains in the United States have been linked to the banning of lead paint and phasing out of lead gasoline since the 70s. So gains amounting to four to five IQ points um, 
increasing since the 1970s seem to be attributed to this these lead restrictions in the United States. So there is another correlation between kind of our health and how that is also impacting our mind as well. As we become more conscious of what is impacting our overall health, we're, we're at the same time actually improving uh, the state of our, our collective minds in a way too. And we're also doing this with nutrition. As we improve nutrition, this is another fact that seems to be playing a role in the Flynn effect. It is undisputed that nutrition affects the makeup of the human body. Nutrition has improved over the past century, and it's been accompanied by IQ gains, as well as increased mean height, increased head size, faster growth, earlier maturation, and so on. So with this improved nutrition, you also, you don't just get these increases in height, increases in head size, average head size, increases in growth, increases um, or earlier maturation, you also get cognitive benefits too. So that's the idea. It's that new in improvements in nutrition have led to improvements in our collective mind as a society. Various studies have shown how poor nutrition that was occurring rampantly in the early 20th century in the United States and Western Europe um, was not allowing kind of this intelligence uh, or IQ gain to increase. The indicators of poor nutrition disappeared over the course of the 20th century, though. Three nutrients are known to be related to the development of intelligence, and this is iron, folate, and iodine. And research has shown insufficient intake of these in various countries in the early part of the 20th century. So as we started to, again, do research to understand what is influencing our health and add more iron, add more folate, add more iodine, even artificially to certain foods, genetically modified foods, which they get a bad rep, uh, but um, they're very beneficial when we, once we, even if we artificially inject certain nutrients, it's helpful for intelligence. So improved nutrition over the course of the 20th century seems to be correlated with these IQ improvements. More currently, um, looking at the research now, poor nutrition has been shown to be associated with low IQ test performance in numerous countries as well. But again, what are the limitations to this? What are the caveats? Well, such increases are still ongoing, but they've actually been decelerating in the late 20th century, or since the late 20th century. Decreasing gains in more recent decades may be due to the fact that the beneficial effects of um, nutrition have reached a ceiling, at least in developed nations. So how much healthier can we really get? How much more iron and folate and iodine can we really um, include in people's diets to that has a, a positive effect on the mind? There's a certain ceiling, there's a certain plateau. So this is why perhaps the Flynn effect, they say, has been... Um, kind of plateauing a little bit because how much better can nutrition really get, at least in developed nations? There's potentially still room for IQ, more IQ point increase in less developed nations because they're still kind of on the back end of getting these nutritional improvements, but it has started to curtail uh, since the late 20th century. Another factor that seems to play a role in the increase in, in IQ over the generations is less exposure to pathogens over over uh, the course of the 20th century and beyond. 
it has been shown that average national IQs are negatively related to the prevalence of infectious diseases around the world. So in other words, decreased disease, increased IQ score. So there's less disease these days than there was before. So this is why uh, there's an increased IQ score. There's a relationship there, a, um, a negative relationship there. Environmental conditions have undoubtedly improved in past decades in developed countries, but also in less developed ones too. This um, creates environments with less path pathogen stress to individuals. Increased availability of health services and better hygienic conditions lower the prevalence of infectious diseases and other pathogens, and this provides better conditions for brain development. So when your brain is developing in a in an environment with less pathogens, it's able to develop properly. So this is the other idea, medical advances. Um, and look right now, look, we're able to, we know we have to social distance, we know how to deal with the pandemic. Well, <laughs> there's certainly an argument to be made if we really do know how, but perhaps there's more research and, and we know kind of, theoretically we should know kind of what to do. We know we have to be isolating it and things like this. So. This is the idea that with these advancements, with these medical advancements, more research into different things, we're exposed to less pathogens and our brains can develop correctly. But what is the caveat to this? It's the effects of pathogen stress remain difficult to disentangle in much of the research. It's hard with these correlational studies to say, yeah, uh, we're exposed to less, less pathogens, so therefore our IQ is increasing. It could be a relationship there, but it's difficult to disentangle the exact relationship there. But it does seem to play a role. Another thing that I think I probably found the most interesting out of all the possible causes is the idea of life history speed. So it's, let's explain this. So there's something called life history speed where there's a fast life history speed and a slow life history speed. Slow life history individuals have fewer lifetime sexual partners, fewer offspring, and later parenthood, whereas fast life history individuals have more sexual partners, more offspring, and earlier parenthood. It's been argued that in environments with high pathogen stress, like, like in the past where there was a lot of exposure to pathogens, there were more adverse conditions, not, there was insufficient nutrition, this is when fast life histories were advantageous for a population because they facilitated coping with unpredictable environments. So back in the day when you weren't as safe, nutrition wasn't as good, the life expectancy was lower, you were better off have, living a fast life history. So more sexual partners, having more kids, earlier parenthood and things like this. So in the past, in more difficult environments, it may have been more beneficial to have this fast life history because you, it's almost like you have to get going with your family earlier to, to get all that thing, all of those things into your life. Because you don't know you're going to live till 83 or whatever the average is. You might, you never know the, all the diseases they had and they didn't have cures for all these things. So this is why you hear of your grandparents getting married young, perhaps, be, or younger than now, because there's more risk in the environment. There's more things you're unsure of. It's more dangerous. Your nutrition isn't as good. You kind of got to get going. So let's explain how this relates to the Flynn effect. So decreasing life history speed may be a consequence of reduced perceived mortality and would allow for more investment into cognitive maturation. 
So now with these slower life history speeds where we don't, uh, perhaps we're not so excited to go off and start a family, get married so early because we're more safe, we're more secure, we have advancements in medicine, we have better nutrition. Now we have more time to invest into our mind and more time to invest in the cognitive side of things rather than the family and life side that maybe gets in the way of like reading books even or, or getting yourself educated almost. So in other words, when pathogen stress is reduced and adequate nutrition is ensured, the development of a slower life history speed is encouraged, thus allowing the emergence of improved cognitive abilities. So now this is why you hear of um, a later age to get married, a later, later age to have kids, because um, it, people are living slower life history speeds. They're more secure. They invest into their mind more than investing into a family. Ultimately, these developments of specific abilities may then in turn be facilitated by improved educational quality and number of educational years. So the people who are living these slower life histories, then they go off and, and then they play a role in, in the education of the next generation. And then they tell them to invest more into their minds and so on. So this life history thing is, is very interesting and kind of related to this slower life history idea is the effect of a decreasing family size in the Flynn effect. It's been known for some time that the average IQ of the entire family decreases as family size increases. So if the family, funnily enough, if the family size is like say two or let's say three, the, the parents and then the child compared to a family of even say 10 kids or even uh, a total family of, yeah, eight kids and two parents, the average IQ is lower for that family. So the bigger the family, the lower the IQ on average. If you're from a big family and you're a smart person, then that certainly can exist as well. But on average, the bigger the family, the lower total IQ or average IQ. So since there has been a decrease in average family size due to these slower life histories, people are waiting longer to have kids and, oh, I might only have one kid. Whereas before, your great, your grandparents, uh, it's not uncommon to hear your grandparents, they came from a family of 10. That just doesn't happen anymore today. So since there's been a decrease in the average family size due to the slower life histories and less investment into the family these days, less low IQ children are being born. Because IQ, actually, the reason there's a, a lower average IQ for these bigger families is because IQ declines with each successive child on average. So the second child doesn't have as high as an IQ as the first child on average and so on. And then the third doesn't have as high an IQ as the second. So this is this effect means that if family size is declining, then theoretically, fewer low IQ children are being born because based on this model, by the fifth child, that child has a very low IQ compared to the first one. So now people are having less kids. So they're only having kind of the high IQ kids uh, based on based on averages. So this means that if family size is declining, fewer low IQ children are being born. And this raises the mean IQ. <laughs> Guys, these are some of the most complex, perhaps, topics we've discussed yet. But hopefully, um, I'm communicating it uh, decently enough because this is—it's pretty. It's just so interesting how many complexities there are to the Flynn effect. And I didn't expect. This is partly why this episode releases so late again because I didn't expect all these caveats and all these different factors that have so many intricacies. 
But I love the way that research allows us to approach things from so many different angles. And um, this is why I definitely uh, find the Flynn effect quite interesting. Another thing I love about at least good research is that there's always acknowledgement of the limitations and inconsistencies in the data. There's always that objectivity there, which you got to love. And some of the things proposed in, in these two studies were that the evidence does show a lack of empirical evidence about the Flynn effect in older individuals. Most 90% of the samples had an average age of 38 years or younger to kind of compare IQ between this generation and the last one. So because average age, average population ages are increasing, particularly particularly in developed countries, future Flynn effect research needs to focus on investigating older participants as well, they pointed out. There's also the inconsistency of the actual Flynn effect that we've kind of touched on. And there's new evidence, especially since the early 2010s that there's actually been decreasing IQ gains over time, it seems. So in more recent years, IQ gains have been observed to decrease across all intelligent domain, intelligence test domains, indicating that the gains may be coming to an end. It's kind of the idea that it, there's the saturation there. How well-nourished can we possibly get? How well-educated can we possibly get? How much can we invest into our minds before we can't really get much smarter anyway? So it's been curtailing. So this is very weird in a couple of ways, because does this mean that we have reached our cognitive limit almost as humans? I don't think so. Maybe if we wait a little longer, I think it'll, it'll probably continue. But recent, more recent research is showing that there's a decrease in IQ. So now you look at it on the negative side, is all of this screen time starting to overwhelm us and is this messing with our IQ now rather than before when a, li a little bit of it sprinkled in was helping to our increase I our IQ, now this saturation of the screen is is messing with our mind possibly. So there's it's not necessarily just the screen and, and no one really knows exactly why it's slowing down, but it, it does seem that it's to do with the saturation of these beneficial effects. How much better can the developed world at least really get? Um, how much more can we invest in our minds? How much smaller can family size really get? And how again, how much more can uh, blood le lead levels really be reduced by? There's a certain point where we can't get much more developed to improve IQ. So this is why it seems like it's been slowing down over time. But what are the considerations of this, you guys? We've talked, we're going to close out with this. We've talked about IQ so much, but IQ doesn't mean intelligence. It's not synonymous with intelligence. There is more to intelligent behavior than IQ scores reflect. Conceptualizations of intelligence differ, and so do individual test results on different test instruments. So it would be, ex it, even still though, it would be expected that individuals scoring high on IQ tests also possess higher mental capacity than low scorers. You're not going to get uh, someone who scores the 140 on an IQ test, which I believe is genius level. I think 100, oh, well, I know 100 is average, and I believe like 130 to 140 is like considered genius level or something like that. If they're scoring a 140 on an IQ test, they're not going to be stupid, for lack of a better word. They're going to they're gonna have high mental functioning. So although it's not 
exactly related to intelligence. But then again, you might have someone who scores a 70 or maybe not 70, maybe, maybe 70, who knows, 70, 80 on an IQ test that has so many mental capacities that the 140 scorer doesn't have to. So it's not synonymous with intelligence, but um, it, it does seem that in, as IQ scores increase, it seems like the mental capacity is also increasing of society. So although the Flynn effect has its limitations and maybe slowing down or even reversing, it remains one of the most mind-boggling occurrences of the 20th century. Hopefully we can continue it. Hopefully this decreasing Flynn effect doesn't continue. Hopefully we keep going. The Flynn effect continues. We get smarter and smarter. We continue to educate the next generation, invest in the mind, and uh, maybe not too much screen time. Maybe uh, that's not so conducive for continuing the Flynn effect, but who knows? That's just my opinion. Thank you for listening to this episode, everybody. We are growing our community through word of mouth. So if you like this episode, just share it with couple of your friends who would also be interested in the Flynn effect psychology concepts um, that we talk a lot about on the Insightful Thinkers podcast, as you guys know, please subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're listening or watching on. Um, Leave a star rating or review on Apple podcasts and a like on YouTube. If you like the video, share your ideas as well with me in the YouTube comments. You can use the connect page on the website. You can do it through social media and check out the blog posts on the website as well. And if you want to join our monthly ITP video conference call and also get access to the show notes that I use for each episode. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Whatever you guys do to support, listening and watching is always plenty. Every time I appreciate you guys so much every week tuning in. Thank you for tuning in every week to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We'll be back next Monday as always for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.